darkness closes in our hope, our hope We've covered all my sin You are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true
40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. All right, uh, let me pray for our time and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to be gathered together on Zoom and uh, to read your word and share with each other about it. And I pray that you would be with our time now as we um, work this out and our time in our micro churches as we uh, discuss things with one another and listen to one another. I pray that you'd guide us, give us a deeper understanding of your will for us and of this psalm in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I think I'm talking to the whole church here. I'm sort of, uh, sort of looking out at the crowds, and I think there's kind of a representative of every group within the church. Um, in Josh Selvey, I have all the dads because his jokes are about the quality level that we expect from dads generally. Am I right? Um, in Ray, we have the average responsible human being um, represented here, which is, which is great. It's, uh, it's really nice to be able to talk to somebody like that. And then in Mike, we have, you know, just where, where culture is headed. Um, we've got the future uh, in Mike Almaroth. So uh, it kind of works. It kind of, I feel like everybody's here and it just kind of works out. So Psalm 40, I, I realized I didn't quite, I didn't quite think this through for Father's Day, but this is something I went through, like a, a Psalm that really, I, I think, helped me through a divorce that I went through uh, about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago. And I chose it because it was just such an important, uh, important scripture for me that I was able to meditate on and really helped carry me through. And um, it's, it's a Psalm that I wanted to share with you because of its importance to me, but also I think it's just important for God's people in general. Um, a long time ago, we opened a service with a portion of Psalm 40 that you too uh, turned into a song. And it's definitely 
uh, one of the Psalms that because of that is, is more well known. But this is a Psalm written in light of, of God's deliverance, but it's written to people who are waiting for God's deliverance. So it's David, the Psalmist is writing about how God delivered him, but he's writing it as a song for God's people because he assumes that they need God's deliverance as well. And so he's not alone. He's sharing it with people who need to be encouraged. So we believe that this Psalm uh, was written out of uh, a really uh, unfair situation, but probably not not one where David felt like his enemies had attacked him or anything like that. Usually in, in Psalms where David wrote about his enemies, he speaks about his enemies and speaks about the people who are trying to pursue him. But here he doesn't do that. So we think that maybe this Psalm was written out of something that was his fault, like he'd made a mistake um, or you know something had come upon him because of his own um, unrighteousness, maybe personal failure, or maybe just the brokenness of the world that got him down. We, we don't know. But really the most important thing we see in this psalm is one of the key doctrines of Christianity, and that is this, that David's deliverance is all grace. And what do I mean by that? He views his trial as being stuck in a pit or a, a muddy bog. And perhaps it's a pit of his own doing that he, you know, he messed up and fell in. You think of quicksand that you should know where it is, but you walk into it and you get stuck. But he is in the pit. And what is he doing from the pit? He's, you know, is he digging himself out? Is he trying his best to manage what's happening in the pit? No, he's, he's waiting. He waits patiently, it says. And then he's crying out. So, I mean, you imagine somebody, just, just imagine a, a big pit of mud and someone just stuck and screaming for help. That's the situation that he finds himself in. And how was his problem solved? How does he report that his problem was solved? It says that God inclined toward him. It's like God leaned in and listened. And then God reached down and drew him up out of the pit. And then set his feet on a sure foundation. And so his only hope in the situation is God. And Christianity, you see, is not a better set of moral rules. It's not a strategy for better life. It's not a system where you check the boxes, like read the Bible, don't lust, don't steal, go to church even on Father's Day, and you will be saved. Um, No, it's not. It's adamantly not that at all. Christianity is a faith that sees our entire lives framed around something like Psalm 40. I'm in a pit. Um, It might be my own fault. It's it's the brokenness of the world or my own problems. Uh, I cannot get out. Um, I'm not impressive. Even within this Psalm, you see David talking about how people have mocked him and ridiculed him. So he's in the kind of situation where he's down in a pit and people have come and gone, (laughs) look at you. You, you stink. That, that's being a Christian. You're, you're maybe in that kind of situation, and you're waiting for God to help you. And the job of the Christian is to cry out to God for help, to admit need, to turn to God. And God promises to those who cry out to him, he will deliver them. Here's how Paul put it elsewhere um, to Christians in the city of Rome. He said, here's what you do to be a Christian. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And what that means, confess with, um, you know, confess that Jesus is Lord. That's saying to him, you're the one who could actually change the situation. And then to say that you rose from the dead is to say, you're the one that has the power to change my situation, not me, but you and you alone. So the job of the Christian is to confess you're, you're in trouble. You're in a pit. You can't save yourself. You need help and you cry out to God and God inclines to us and hears our cry. And, and to be a Christian is to see that that's what's happened and to accept that. So David in uh, Psalm 51, same David who wrote Psalm 40 elsewhere in Psalm 51 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite heart. And these, O God, you will not despise. So God hears the cry of those who need help, whose spirits are broken. And the Christian sees that what saves them is only grace, only God's goodness and power and mercy. In your microchurches today, I want you to reflect on this. Um, when you tell people of God's faithfulness to deliver you from something, what story do you tell? And I mean, not, not just, you know, sin in general, like the day you became a Christian, but what situation, self-inflicted or not, has God delivered you from, even if it's still in the process? Um, I, I mentioned that Psalm 40 was important to me when going through the divorce. And for a while I was a single dad. And um, honestly, like we're still in the middle of cases that are attached to that issue happening. In fact, we thought one of the hearings was going to be tomorrow, but because of COVID it's been pushed back into July. And so for us, this waiting period, God's deliverance, we sense it, we feel it, but it's taking over 10 years. So it doesn't have to just be something that God has saved you from, like, wow, bingo, I prayed and it was done. But where is something where you can recognize God is with you and he's saving you even if it's taking a long time? I want you to reflect on this, uh, this verse 3 of the psalm as we move forward with this, just briefly. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And, uh, you know, this isn't about getting into new Christian music at all. Unfortunately, some people have said that it is, which is really silly. But um, new songs come after new recognitions of mercy. So when you see new mercies of God that you hadn't experienced before, that's when a, a new song overflows from your heart. So it's fair to say that this psalm is encouraging us that we connect with God in deeper ways when we come through suffering we've never suffered through before. Suffering is never fun. It's never to be uh, like minimized. It's not something to say, oh, no problem. Uh, you know, this is just God doing a good thing in my life. But at the same time, we're supposed to have a perspective that in our suffering is exactly when we see the, the unmerited, unearned deliverance and mercy of God the most. And the recognition of mercy and deliverance leads us to these new songs. And in this scripture, that means evangelism. Um, the, the new song is a song of deliverance that you share out to other people and tell them what God has done for you. So if we want to have a, a church that shares the gospel, that evangelizes, I mean, we're going to have to expect to go through some suffering. We're going to have to expect to experience some mercy. Um, and we're going to have to really lean into having gratitude to God in the midst of all that 
or else we're not going to be a very evangelistic church. Now, what's the alternative? What's the other way you could act? Um, Julia, when she read to us, her, her translation kind of translated this for us. In my translation, it said, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And Julia's translation kind of worked that out and said, you know, these are idols, other things we might worship. And that's true. Um, a lot of times the lie in the Old Testament is, is an idol. And those um, times of suffering, you'll notice, can, can point you, you can lean into God or you can go after one of your idols. I would say the times of suffering in my life have been the greatest times of temptation. I think that's often true for us. Because if God is withholding something from us because we're going through suffering, um, the enemy of our souls, our tempter, is going to put something in front of us that we want and say, you know what, forget God. Um, God's making your life stink. God's making your life miserable. Why don't you come and get what you want? And that's, that's an option. That's what a lot of people do. And so that's why David is declaring these wonders of God to people after his suffering is he's encouraging other people who are suffering to consider not to go astray after a lie, even though it's so tempting, but to stand firm because God is faithful and he's better than all of the idols we could run after. So secondly, in your micro churches, think about this. When you're suffering, what temptation is magnified uh, in your life? And I would, I would say, you know, you, you need to understand that as far as Christianity is concerned, there's two different ways you can rebel against God. One is you can run after temptations to, you know, eat, drink, and be merry and do terrible things or whatever. But one of the strongest temptations in the Bible that Jesus really addresses is the temptation to self-justify yourself before God, to be good on your own, to make your own righteousness apart from God's. And so some people, when they suffer, they come out saying, I will be a better person. Um, I'm going to be better than this. I'm going to rise above this. And that, in Scripture, is a deep temptation to stand on your own two feet and not acknowledge God and cry out to him at all. So discuss that. Work that out in your microchurches. If, if you're tempted to, you know, go off and rebel or if you're tempted to self-justify, work that out. Share that with one another. Now, this next section, 6 through 10, uh, really focuses on how our hope for grace can be secure, how um, God has, has made this promise to us, and, and David works it out uh, in these verses. Let me read them to you again. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Now, um, Julia's translation said, you know, he's pierced your ears. And I know some of you are like, sweet, you know, I've already done that. Uh, that's great. But um, unfortunately, her translation botched that one. I got the other one right, but it messed this one up real good. So uh, what it means is it, it literally means you've dug my ears out, uh, which is in a sense of, of saying you've given me ears, uh, like you've created my ability to hear. You've, you've given me this part of myself. And then you'll see in, in Hebrews 10, where this is quoted, it says a body you've prepared for me, which feels like a weird mistranslation, but it's actually just the difference between Hebrew and Greek, this idea of like digging out ears is a Hebrew expression that didn't translate very well to Greek. But either way, it's like, it's saying you've created my ability to hear, you've created my ability to live. It's actually a very similar expression. So in sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. 
burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. But then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It's written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is written within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. See here, Psalm 40 makes this turn where David is speaking of things too lofty for him. In the beginning of the psalm, he talks about the, the pit that he fell in. At the end of the psalm, he'll admit his sinfulness. And here in the middle, he sounds like the perfect man. And it just doesn't quite work. He can't be referring to himself. So he's, he's referring to someone who's coming. And Hebrews 10 tells us that he's referring to Jesus, that Jesus himself spoke these words. And in the Old Testament, people were not made right with God by following the law. They were made right with God by faith in what God had promised was coming. And you see that in Adam and Eve, they're promised that there's, there's gonna have, they're going to have deliverance through their heir. You see this in David here in Psalm 40, where he's hoping and waiting for the one who is written of in the scroll. And here David is remembering when he's in this pit, He's remembering that God has made a promise to him. And Hebrews 10 tells us that the one David was waiting for was Jesus. And now we look back at the same one that David looked forward to. So David didn't know all the details of what he was looking forward to. Sometimes when we look back at Jesus, we don't, we don't understand him perfectly. But David was teaching us to latch on to Jesus for hope to the righteous one who pleased God, though David was unrighteous and did not please God all the time. And that's the gospel, the, the good news of Christianity. Though we are sinful, we have more hope and meaning and purpose than we can wrap our minds around because we're loved and accepted through Jesus Christ, the righteous man, the son of God. So in your microchurches, your third question is this, can you think of ways in which Jesus specifically addressed and overcame the temptations you face in your life. So those things that you've, you've brought up that you struggle with, the ways you rebel or self-justify, can you see in the life of Jesus how he faced those same things and overcame them? Do a little bit of work, work that out together. And then as you start to think about the, you're thinking about these sins and the way Jesus overcame them, think of Verses 11 to 13 that I'm going to read right now is like an assurance of pardon for you. Just, just hear these. Let these wash over you. I'm going to have you read these again in your microchurch. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. This isn't just true for David. He turned it into a song and sang it over God's people because it's true for all of us. Now there's kind of an aside and, and it's something that David throws in and it's the aha, aha verse. We all wanted to see what Julia, how Julia would handle that. It's a weird verse to read. Like we were all kind of joking about, you know, when you read it, I, you know, what do you say? Like, aha, aha. Or we imagined kind of a Victorian way of saying it. There's all kinds of goofy ways uh, you could say it. And, and it kind of 
clouds the meaning of it, I think. But David here says, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. And basically that those, those words are, they're kind of just a mockery. It's kind of like somebody's going, ha, look at you, you idiot, you failure. Like, look, look, at, look at you. And it's okay, this scripture shows us, it is okay to want people who put you to shame to be put to shame, though it's not okay for you to be the one who puts them to shame. Though it's not okay for you to be the one that goes and gets, you know, the vindication for yourself or takes out revenge. Um, Elsewhere in the scripture, it says, justice is mine, says the Lord. That's from Deuteronomy 32 and from Romans 12. Elsewhere, it says, be angry, but do not sin. How, How do you do that? How do you get justifiably angry when people wrong you without sinning? Well, the answer is here that you cry out to God and ask him to vindicate you and trust that he actually will, that he actually will do what's right, that, that people will face judgment. And if they can stand in the judgment, it's because their sin was paid for on the cross, which means Jesus doesn't take any of it lightly. God isn't, isn't up there going, oh, stuff doesn't matter. It's cool. It's fine. He, he's not. Everything gets dealt with. Every time somebody has mocked you, ridiculed you, or rubbed your reputation in the mud, God's paying attention, and he's going to do something about it. Verse 16 and 17 say this in conclusion. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. There's a similar thing going on here in Psalm 40 as is going on in Hebrews 10 when it gets quoted later. And that is we're being assured of the mercy of God. It's a sure thing in the Bible. David is sure of mercy because it is based on God's faithfulness. The book of Hebrews, we are sure of mercy because it is based on the faithful and complete work of Jesus Christ, the promised one that David was waiting for the one who we remember, which means this. It means that you can fail and suffer for it. You can fall in a pit of your own making. You can continue to be tempted. You can struggle with temptation, which you undoubtedly will, especially when, you're, when you suffer. But you can have incredible hope because of the greatness of God. And you can sing to yourself a song like Psalm 40, where you can say, in the midst of my trouble, I remember God's faithfulness to those who came before me and at other times in my life. And I can stay stay steadfast in him. So the final final question I want you to ask yourselves in microchurch is this. How are you learning to apply Christ's faithfulness to yourself when you realize that you are failing? How are you learning to apply Christ's faithfulness to yourself in the moments that you realize you're failing. And that application, learning to do that, is the key piece to the Christian life, is learning how to actually believe this in the midst of being in a pit of your own. Let's pray, and we're going to sing one more song together. Father in heaven, 
Thank you for uh, these people, this church that you've built. Thank you that you're the one who reaches down into the pit and draws us out. Teach us to cry to you, not to be uh, wallowing in our failures, but then again, not to be uh, self-justifying ourselves and trying to prove ourselves, but help us to cry out to you, be grateful to you, and then give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for your love for us and for your open arms, for the fact that you hear us when we cry out, and that we can trust you. I pray that you just light, guide our conversations um, as we go into our microchurches and uh, 
help us see how to just trust in you and trust that you have this under control and your vengeance is yours and you love us and you remember us for your glory.